This is my life. This is my time. I believe in me. Hi, and welcome to the Dream Big and Bloom podcast, episode number eight. I'm Marty Lynn, certified dream builder coach and owner of Dream Big and Bloom Coaching. And I teach women over 60, like me, how to dream big and bloom. That means to envision what you really want out of life and don't settle. You can get more details about my program at my website, dreambigandbloom.com. Although I specialize in helping women over 60 who want more fulfillment and fun during their retirement years, my program works for everyone, and everyone is welcome here, and everyone can benefit from listening to this podcast and doing the practices. My intention with this podcast is to inspire you and teach you how to go for what makes your heart sing and create a life you absolutely love. This episode is the second in a three-part series based on my three-hour workshop, and you're going to learn some foundational principles of the tested, proven, reliable Dream Builder system, and be given some transformational exercises so you can actually experience the benefits. In the last episode, I told you my story and how my experience has made me so passionate about and committed to teaching and coaching with the Dream Builder system. I shared an inspiring story about an amazing 104-year-old man that illustrates a foundational principle of dream building that you can realize a big dream at any age, under any circumstances, and at any stage in life. You learned about the transcendentalists. Henry David Thoreau's experiment and the code he discovered that we can use to realize a dream of any magnitude. To review, this is what he wrote. I have learned this, at least by my experiment, that if one advances confidently in the direction of their dream, endeavoring to live the life they are imagining, one passes an invisible boundary all sorts of things begin to occur that never otherwise would have occurred. One begins to meet with a success unexpected in common hours. New, more universal, more liberal laws begin to establish themselves around this person, or the old laws are rearranged in one's favor. Nevertheless, one begins to live with a license of a higher order of being. And I gave you a few exercises you could do to get started moving in that direction. So in this episode, as I promised, I'm going to share with you Mary Morrissey's amazing story. The experience that set her on the path of helping so many people turn their dreams into reality and enabled her to create the Dream Builder program. And I'm going to tell you about a life altering experience that set her on the path of helping so many people turn their dreams into reality. Mary's story demonstrates the power of thought to change our lives for the negative as well as the positive, how our thinking can often have devastating consequences, and the power of visioning to turn it all around. You learn that everything is created twice. Everything is first a thought before it can become a thing. So clearing up your problems and living your dreams both depend on what you're thinking. 
So here's Mary's story. Mary grew up in Portland, Oregon. Her mom and dad were happily married. She had a great upbringing. She had one sister eight years older, and she had a high school experience like most young girls dream about. She was class vice president. She was on the drill team. She had a lead in the junior play, was homecoming princess. And at the end of her junior year in high school, she was pregnant. Her high school boyfriend had gone off to college for his freshman year, came home for spring break, and Mary got pregnant. In May, she had to tell her parents that she was pregnant. Her mother wept for her as if Mary had died. In her mind, all her dreams for Mary were dying. There was a very hasty 10-person wedding. And a couple of weeks later, Mary confided in one of her trusted high school teachers that she was now pregnant and married. She said it in that order. The next thing she knew, the principal of the high school called her into his office and said, So is it true? Are you pregnant and married, Mary? She said, Well, yes, I am. He said, Well, Mary, you have great academics and terrific honors, but I need to let you know that you'll not be able to uh, return here for your senior year in high school. It would be inappropriate for a pregnant girl to get mixed in with the normal girls. This was back in 1966. And then he followed by saying, but we do have a place for people like you. It's a high school. It's not held during the day. It's held at night. And it's across the river. This was actually in a part of Portland Mary hadn't been allowed to even drive in after dark. And it's the place where the pregnant girls and the delinquent boys went to high school. So you can see the, the thinking of that era. Anyway, the next fall, Mary drives across the river to the other side of Portland and parks her car in this part of the city, and she's walking up to the big building, which is normal high school during the day, and Washington evening high school for the pregnant girls and the delinquent boys at night, and she's walking up to the school and she's thinking, every girl here either has a baby or is pregnant, and every boy here is some kind of a delinquent, and this is my new student body. Her son was born during the winter of that time she spent at Washington Evening High School, and by May she had graduated. In July, she was in an intensive care ward at Portland Adventist Hospital, having been diagnosed with fatal kidney disease. Back in those days, there was no dialysis and there were no kidney transplants. The test showed that one kidney was totally destroyed with nephritis, the other kidney had 50% destruction and active nephritis. She was told that if they could get the blood toxin level in her body reduced enough so that she could sustain a surgery to remove the right kidney, then maybe she would have six months to live. So here she is. Her mother's watching her seven-month-old son, and she's in intensive care and has just been told that the best shot she's got is maybe six months and she's feeling devastated and desperate. As Mary tells it, the God of her upbringing was not really a friendly place to go when you felt like you'd really messed up. She didn't have a faith practice. She didn't have a higher power to turn to that she really felt reliant upon or that she felt would be responsive to her. So finally the surgery was scheduled, and the night before, about 10 o'clock that night, 
a woman walked into a room who identified herself as a chaplain who was offering prayer to people who were going to have surgery the next day. She asked Mary if she wanted someone to pray with her. Mary was scared, and so she said yes. The woman came over and stood next to the bed where Mary was lying, and then she pulled up a chair and sat down. She didn't begin with prayer. She began by saying, So would you be willing to tell me what's been going on in your life the last year or two? Now, this was before the idea of the mind-body connection was in the common nomenclature. This was 1967, remember? There had been no mind-body connection book on the bestseller list. There had been nothing in Newsweek. You know that later there would be front-page articles and cover articles about the mind-body connection. There would be a mind-body clinic at Harvard Teaching Hospital. All of this would emerge, but in 1967, it was very difficult to even find information about how our thinking affects what happens, not only in our physical body, but in the outcomes of our lives. Most people had no idea of this. So when the chaplain asked Mary to tell her her story, Mary did, because she was so scared. She told her what had been going on in her life the last couple of years at the end of which the chaplain looked at her very compassionately. She looked in Mary's eyes and said, Everything is created twice. Mary had a quizzical look on her face. What do you mean? Then she said, The bed you're lying on, the nightgown you're wearing, the sheet covering you, the carpet, the floor, the ceiling, the walls, all this machinery, everything was first a thought before it could become a thing. And then she looked at Mary and she said, you know this. You just don't know the power of knowing this. And then she said, I hear how much you love your little boy, but I also hear how much you've been hating yourself. You feel like you've shamed yourself, shamed your school, and shamed your family. Now that you're considering the connection between thought and result, cause and effect, that everything that's experienced first began in thought, everything that is created first began in thought, could you consider the possibility that there could be some relationship between this toxic thinking and the toxicity that's in your body that's actually threatening your life? Well, this was a brand new idea to Mary. Is this a brand new idea to you? Or should I say, do you accept this as true? If not, I'd love to know why. Perhaps you'll share in the comments. Anyway, while some part of Mary thought this made sense, she had no way to really validate this at the time. And then the chaplain said to her, In this universe, this universe, uni for one, verse for voice, there is one presence, one power, one life. It is ever seeking a freer, fuller, more expanded expression of itself. And that's happening in your life right now. The toxicity that's in your body can be released because it can be released in your mind. In this universe, there is an exquisite, precise balance and perfection. The mathematical precision with which everything is balanced is so precise that even one trillionth of a trillionth of a millimeter difference in the balance of our solar system would cause the whole thing to blow apart. That intelligence is at work right now. It's everywhere present. Could you believe it's possible that if you were to align with that precision, that is at work in you, that your whole body could actually respond to that 
and in the morning the doctors would tell you that you don't need surgery? You can get up and go home. You're fine. She said, could you believe that's possible? Mary told her the truth, and the truth for her at that moment was no, she did not think that was going to happen for her. Mary believed way more in her pain in that moment than in the possibility. And she believed a whole lot more in the minor deities, the MDs, than what she would later call the major deity. She knew a minor deity when she saw one because they had MD at the end of their name. And whatever they said was gospel to her. If they said it, it had to be true. So then the chaplain said, okay, how about this? If you can't believe you can be totally healed, then how about this? Could you believe it's possible that everything that is the genesis of this problem is either in the kidney that's going to get removed or could be swept into the kidney that's going to get removed so that when that kidney is removed from you, so is the problem? Could you believe that? Mary didn't really know what to believe, but she could tell that the chaplain believed it, and it was the first time she ever consciously chose to believe in someone else's belief, someone who had a higher domain of believing. So she looked at her and she said, well, I don't know if it's possible or even probable, but I'm open to it. And the chaplain said, okay, that's all we need. One corner of your mind open to the possibility. Let's work with that. Now, this was before Talbot had written The Holographic Universe, before we understood how a higher domain thought always takes precedence over lower frequency thoughts. We didn't know anything about that. But she said, all we need is a corner of your mind open to the possibility. And that's what I'm inviting you to do right now, is to give a corner of your mind open to the possibility that there is much more in you and for you than you have known. And that by applying these simple principles and practices over a period of time, that you really can build a field of dreams. Mary said, okay, and the chaplain said, then let's pray. Mary didn't hear any bells ringing and the hair on her neck didn't stand up, but she must have relaxed because the next morning when she woke up, she realized that she'd slept all night without waking. She hadn't been able to do that in weeks because she'd been in so much pain. And after the doctors did the surgery, they told her and her family that one kidney was indeed destroyed with nephritis and they'd removed it, and the other kidney didn't look as bad as they would have expected with 50% destruction. But time would tell. And time did tell. Instead of getting worse, Mary got better. Within a few days, she was heading home. And she continued to get better and better and better. Well, even at a young 18 years old, that caught Mary's attention. Something was going on. She was a part of something. And she became like a thirsty sponge for all the information she could find in the field of metaphysics, philosophy, psychology, and science to discover how it works in the universe that everything is really created twice. And Mary spent the last 35 years in what she calls the laboratory called life, searching for these principles, studying these principles, getting degrees in the application of these principles. She got an undergraduate degree in education, a master's degree in counseling psychology, became an ordained minister, received an honorary doctorate in humane letters, 
She's written two books, and she's spoken to thousands and thousands of people all around the world. She has envisioned dreams and set intentions and applied these principles to her dreams and intentions. She's manifested many opportunities as a result of applying those principles. Like being invited to meet with His Holiness the Dalai Lama to find out how he could be so good at forgiveness. And also meeting with Nelson Mandela for the same reason. Speaking at the United Nations and hanging out with Kenny Loggins. And so I'm hoping that Mary's story will inspire you to consider any possibility. Just open yourself up to the possibility that your imagination is a gift and that there is a place inside of you that is undaunted by circumstances. It's not controlled by your history. It's not defined by anything you've ever believed about yourself. And it's absolutely available right now to use. Consider all the unlimited possibilities for your life. Dream building starts with our thinking. Everything is created twice. First, it must be a thought before it can ever become a thing. And negative thoughts and beliefs will manifest also. So the first step in dream building is to have a vision. You need to have a focus, a vision to keep you advancing confidently in the direction of your dream and to activate that higher order of being that Thoreau discovered. Wallace Waddles wrote a great book called The Science of Getting Rich back in 1910. It was a major inspiration for Rhonda Byrne's movie, The Secret, and her best-selling book by the same title. The ideas in Waddle's book are also foundational to the Dream Builder program. I highly recommend it. It's a really inspiring read. I'll put a link in the show notes. Waddle said that thinking is the hardest work in the world. That's why most people don't do it. Of course, he meant focusing on your thinking getting control of that committee in your mind that tries to dissuade you, that monkey mind, right? Focusing on your vision is the secret to manifesting a life you would absolutely love. So are you ready? Are you ready to grow, to expand, and to have more? Are you ready to use your thoughts to define your dream? If you are, then your assignment for this week, should you choose to accept it, is to begin to explore this question. What is the life I would absolutely love to live? What would you love to be, to do, to give, to create? If time weren't a restriction, if education weren't a restriction, if money, who you knew, age, all the many things that often build what we call a paradigm that blocks you, gives your power to the conditions you've known, and defines the possibilities you can or cannot have. If none of those were present for you, what would you love? What would you love to be, or do, or create, to construct in your life? And you'll begin to see the magic. And by the way, it's common for many people to have difficulty remembering how to dream. It's not encouraged when we grow up, and it's certainly not encouraged in society at large. In fact, it seems like we're thwarted most of the time. If that's the case for you, there's another way to get in touch with what you would really love. Pay attention to your longing and discontent. 
That's a way for you to connect with your higher self that's nudging you to expand, to grow, and to have more and be more. Think about what would be the antidote to your longing and discontent. In your journal or on a notepad, put a vertical line down the middle of a page, and on one side, make a list of all the things you're longing for and discontented with, and on the other side, write down what you would love instead. I'm eager to know how this works for you, and I'd love it if you'd post in the comments on my blog or my Facebook pages. In my next podcast, I'm going to lead you through a powerful visioning exercise that will give you clarity on what you would love so you can successfully create it. But if you're raring to go and you don't want to wait till next week, sign up for my free video training at dreambigandbloom.com. The exercise is in the training. I'll put the link in the show notes. In the meantime, if you have any questions or epiphanies you'd like to share, post them in the comments on the blog page for this podcast at dreambigandbloom.com or my Facebook page, dreambigandbloom.com or in my private Facebook group, Women Over 60 Seeking More. The transcript for this podcast and the practice assignment and the links to the other things I mentioned will be posted in the show notes. I hope you found this helpful and that you will join me next week for the time machine visioning process. Now, as you go, remember, there's a power within you greater than any circumstance, situation, or condition, and you can use it to create a life you absolutely love living. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll tune in again next week. Bye for now.